Hi, everyone, and welcome to First State Insights, a podcast presented by the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration. That's IPA for short. My name is Troy Mix. I'm Associate Director at IPA and one of the hosts for First State Insights. This episode features IPA Public Administration Fellow Madison Matera interviewing the Dover-Kent County MPO Executive Director Marilyn Smith. During this January 7, 2022 interview, they spoke about Marilyn's transition to work in Delaware and her perspectives on the crucial role transportation planning plays for economic prosperity, quality of life, and social equity in our communities. Let's get to the conversation. Hello, I'm Madison Matera. I'm a second year master's of public administration student at the Biden School of Public Policy and Administration and a public administration fellow with the Institute for Public Administration. For the next few months, IPA is connecting with transportation planners about current and future plans, projects, and opportunities related to infrastructure investments and priorities. Today, I am talking with Marilyn Smith, Executive Director of the Dover County Metropolitan Planning Organization, about her background, strategies for getting to know Delaware, intersectionalities within transportation, and the MPO's current and future priorities. So, let's get into it. Hi, Marilyn. Hey, Madison. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. Welcome to First Date Insights. Why don't we start with just a little introduction of you and your background and how you got to where you are now? Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to chat. So I became the executive director of the Dover-Kent MPO on December, uh, the first week of December in 2020. And I worked virtually um, because I was living in upstate New York at the time. And so I worked virtually for a couple months until my husband and I were able to move to Delaware February of 2021. My husband and I had been vacationing in Delaware for several summers, and we had always said, oh, when we retire, we'll move to Delaware. And one day, uh, it, it was summertime in 2020, you know, in the height of the pandemic. And I said to him when he got home from work, I said, you know, maybe we don't have to wait to move to Delaware till we retire. Maybe we should think about moving there now. And it had just occurred to me that when people retire and kind of plop themselves down in a place, they expect that community to embrace them and, you know, just be part of a community. And it occurred to me that that didn't really make much sense. And so if we wanted to be able to retire in a community, we needed to go there ahead of time and really be part of that community and have some skin in the game. And so that's what really motivated us to make the move to Delaware. And how did you, you know, begin in your career? Like, how did you kind of get into planning? And I know you have some, you know, background in some different areas, but be interested to hear more about your professional background. So way back forever ago, when I was working on my undergraduate degree, my minor was actually urban and regional planning. And I did an internship in a in a city and worked on their housing census count. And so I had this planning background way back in the recesses of, of my education. I spent 10 years in county government where, you know, I really believe that that's, you know, municipal government, that government close to people is really where the rubber meets the road in so many ways. And then 20 years ago, uh, so I was in county government in Utah. And then 20 years ago, I took a position um, as the executive director at Cornell Cooperative Extension, two counties in upstate New York. So I was really, again, very on the ground, very field-based, working with people and, you know, kind of the day-to-day things that were going on. And I did that for about 12 years. And then I took a position in the district office of a member of Congress. 
And I was primarily doing economic development, but a lot of work with municipal leaders and business casework and business development, chambers of commerce and that sort of thing. So that was kind of the long and winding road. I've always been in public service, been an adjunct professor teaching undergrad public admin for about 10 years. So it it just is a very logical thought for me to be. It, It kind of being at the MPO really combines a lot of the things that I've been doing for 30 years. So we mentioned before, being that you're not originally from Delaware, what have been some strategies to help you better get to know Delaware's landscape and kind of engage with the community? So, you know, when you're vacationing in Delaware, you pretty much just go to the beach, right? That's what everybody does. And so um, it didn't take us long, even in our vacationing time, to say we'd like to see more of Delaware than just the beach. So even before we moved here, we started. So my husband and I, we love a good road trip. So just put that out there. We get in the car and we drive. And so that's what we started doing in Delaware. We started driving, you know, off the route one just to the beach. We started driving other places. And then since we moved here, we pretty much do that every weekend. We get in the car and we drive somewhere on a road that we haven't been. We go to a place that we haven't seen. We try to, you know, really see the landscape and get a sense of of what's happening. What are people doing? What do communities look like? What does agriculture look like? You know, what does business look like? My husband's a school bus driver. So he often drives roads in Kent County that I haven't seen. And so on the weekend, sometimes that's where we go are those neighborhoods and places where he's been driving his bus during during the week. We also try, we bought our own kayak. And so we've been, you know, trying to get out on rivers and lakes and ponds and, you know, again, see Kent County starting to see that from, again, that different perspective, the on the water perspective. I've really tried to be on the ground in places where the MPO has been doing work. So if we're doing a study somewhere, I try to get out and see what that looks like. So I know exactly what people are talking about. And then the usual things, you know, I watch for, and obviously there's less of this right now um, with, with the pandemic, but I watch for festivals. I watch for markets and events that we can just get out to and start becoming familiar. I've been very fortunate that I have three staff members who are lifelong Delawareans. So they they help me out a lot. I've met some great community people who have been very supportive of me coming into the position and they've done a great job of introducing me to people and, you know, again, kind of giving me their either their life experience here or their experience if they moved here. And then I've been fortunate I was accepted to be a member of the Central Delaware Leadership class this year. And so I've been, again, once a month getting out somewhere, meeting new people, going new places. So it's been a real combination of efforts, uh, but people have definitely been supportive and helpful. Yeah, it seems like you've done a pretty good job so far, you know, getting involved in the community. Kind of switching gears a little, what do you believe is kind of the role, you know, as the executive director of um, Kent Dover MPO, the role to support and build capacity for the community you're serving? I think that's an interesting question because I think that the MPO, I mean, we are small to begin with, but I think that we have a really dedicated and talented group of people here and we can use our skills and abilities because we're here all the time. And I think that that's a challenge for um, particularly some small municipalities. They don't have a lot of staff. They don't have a lot of capacity. And so I think some of the things that we can do 
is that we can call things to their attention and say, hey, we are a resource for you here. We can be helpful here. We can do some of that work planning, transportation planning work for you that maybe you don't have the ability to do yourself, or we can get you to a point where you can. So I think that that gives us a lot of opportunity to build capacity in in our greater community. I think we can build general capacity. We, We are very dedicated to our public participation plan. And sometimes, you know, when people have an issue, say they want a stop sign or say they want a crosswalk or um, something like that, that when they make that call to us or to their municipality, that may be the first interaction that they've had with the government agency or organization. And so we can really uh, teach them how to go about trying to affect that change in their community. We can really, it's very hands-on, it's very ground level. But I think that we have the ability to do that. And then, you know, the next time the municipality may be a little more suited to go a little further on their own, or community members may be a little more interested in engaging on the next project that comes up. So I think that we do have a lot of capacity to be able to to share our capacity with with the community and help them to build theirs. So I feel like transportation, people don't realize how interconnected it is with everything in our daily lives. So I was kind of curious how you viewed the intersectionality between transportation planning, housing, land use planning, promoting healthy and sustainable communities, you know, things of that nature. Coming from an economic development background and also coming from the field-based, you know, cooperative extension background, to me, it is just there, it's unreasonable to think that there is not an intersection, put it that way. Transportation planners are recommending ways to operate and manage a transportation system. And thinking about that, it's it's not short term. You know, transportation planning is five or 10 or 20 years out. And so um, there's a lot of thought that goes into all of the elements that are going to surround a transportation project. Because as you well know, once there's asphalt on the ground, chances are it's not moving, right? It's, it's pretty permanent. And the impacts that that has on a community are going to be felt long after, for many of us, long after we as planners are, are gone. And so I think that you really, transportation planners are keenly aware of those intersections. You know, what happens to a community or a neighborhood if this kind of a project is implemented. What happens to clean air and what happens to clean water and what happens to, you know, the ability of people to get to those basic services. It doesn't do us any good to build housing that's so far away from transportation that that housing really isn't desirable for people because they don't have a way to get then from where that house is to a grocery store or a medical center or a school or where they work. So for me, the, it, it's not about an intersection. They are interconnected all the time, everything. If you can't get from A to B, then all those other things don't have nearly as much chance of being successful and being able to be coupled for the lives of people and families in a way that it makes sense and that it is, you know, that it gives them quality of life. So to me, it's not a question of whether or not they're, they're intersected. That seems really important to understand that they're so interconnected and 
kind of going off of that, what do you feel like are some priorities for 2022 and beyond for the MPO and how do they align with social equity issues and challenges? So I think a lot of people have, many people have thought about equity. I mean, this isn't a new concept, right? I mean, people have been talking about equity since the 60s, since uh, the passage of the Civil Rights Act. For us, as a quasi-governmental agency that receives 80% of our funding from the federal government, it's not optional. I mean, it is just a constant thread in everything that we do to be thinking about equity, social justice, fairness, you know, environmental equity. We are charged by the federal government to think about ways to make sure that underserved or disadvantaged communities are not further disadvantaged in any any planning, any project that we do. So we are always thinking about how that quality of transportation affects someone's life or their social opportunities. We're always thinking about how to most efficiently and effectively disperse those federal resources, again, in a way that it provides accessibility and that it doesn't cause damage and that it doesn't cause more of an inequity. So it it isn't for us. It's not a matter of not thinking about it. It's a matter of it always being at the forefront of our thought. And that's particularly true now. The president recently signed an executive order that's called Justice 40. And that means it is a whole government approach. So not just us in transportation, but everybody to look at advancing environmental justice in such a way that 40% of all federal investments are uh, made in disadvantaged communities. So if it wasn't on our minds before, which it was, but this just heightens our awareness to make sure that, that we are paying attention to issues about equity and that addressing them head on is included in every project we consider, every, every priority that we look at, that that is at the forefront of our thinking and our prioritization process. Looking more, you know, at the federal level, we obviously have the infrastructure bill that has passed. It's getting a lot of attention, but I was wondering what you thought are some, you know, opportunities to infuse some of the infrastructure investment priorities with long range plan priorities. Well, you're correct. I mean, everybody, as you well know, this is, you know, this is a hot topic of discussion. This is a lot of money, potentially a lot of money. And as, as we are looking at it in the transportation planning sphere and in that greater, you know, community development, it does have the potential to be really transformational, right? I mean, these kinds of investments have not been made in, you know, 50, 75 years. So it definitely has the the potential to be transformational. I think one of the things that in talking with our partners at Federal Highways and our partners at DelDOT, we are keenly aware that this funding is not, the intention is not to just add more lanes. You know what I mean? So we're not just going to add more lanes so that we can add more traffic, so we can pollute more air, so that we can, that is absolutely contrary to what the intention of these new dollars are for. So for us, now we have a long range plan. That's, that's how we do business. That's how transportation projects make their way to the top, obviously. 
So we're looking at that long range plan and saying, you know, maybe some projects that were forecast out to be quite far, you know, close to that 20 year, maybe they'll be moved up faster. Maybe with an infusion of money, they'll be able to be done sooner than we had anticipated. So that's one of the things that that we're thinking about as an opportunity. I think we are looking at opportunities because there is so much of a focus on alternative transportation and alternative fuels. I think we're really looking at that as an opportunity. And I know the state of Delaware is really focused on that. And so I think that this infusion of federal infrastructure dollars gives us a chance to look at that in a more meaningful way. The other thing that I think is really, um, and it may, at first, it doesn't sound like it's transportation, but back to our our conversation about the intersection, people need broadband, right? And and as we have well discovered over the last two years, broadband, high-speed, accessible broadband is critical to pretty much every piece of uh, sustainable, healthy communities and families. So I'm very excited about broadband for everyone in Delaware and making sure that, again, hopefully that cuts through some of communities that may have been disadvantaged or where inequity existed. I'm really looking forward to that infusion of broadband money, and hopefully that will be an opportunity to address some of those challenges that have been big, big challenges and costly challenges. So that's what I see as opportunities in this, you know, when this new money really starts to hit the ground. Yeah, it's definitely an exciting time. I want to thank you so much for, you know, taking the time to speak with us on the podcast. I think it's a really great opportunity for, you know, people to get to know you and kind of get to know the MPO a little better. This has been really great. And thank you so much. Thanks, Madison. I appreciate your time. For more on the work of Marilyn and her team at the Dover-Kent County MPO, browse to doverkentmpo.delaware.gov or follow at Dover Kent MPO on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. For more information on the Institute for Public Administration, visit ipa.udel.edu. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to First State Insights and tune in again soon. Take care.